everyone it's good to see you all here today and for those of you online it is great to have you joining us from wherever you are as well uh, my name is Rachel and I'm one of the elders here at Andover Baptist Church and it is great to be able to kick off the first part in our series called Be Rich. Have you ever wanted to make a difference? Have you ever seen a situation and wanted to help? I wonder if you've ever wondered what it is you could do to make a difference. Well, we believe that as followers of Jesus, making a difference and helping people are exactly the kind of thing that we should be doing. Someone once said, preach the good news about Jesus every day, and if necessary, use words. The implication being that it would be our actions that would demonstrate the love that Jesus has for us all. So in this Be Rich series, we are going to look at how we can be, fun sorry, not how we can be financially rich, sorry. <laughs> that would have been a turn up for the books, wouldn't it? Um, but something even better than that, how we can be rich in generosity and in good deeds. And we want to spend the next three weeks exploring that idea, thinking about it together, and looking at how we can do that in our giving, in serving, and in loving making it really easy to actually crack on and do what we're talking about by having really clear next steps for each of us to take so that we grow in our faith and so that we can bless those around us. Now, when I was little, it was before 24-hour news channels. It was before the mobile telephone and it was before social media. I know I don't look old enough. However, it was when paper boys and paper girls actually had massive delivery rounds because there were a lot of people who were having newspapers. They delivered headlines that had been previously unseen until you picked up the newspaper that morning and read it. There were news bulletins on the TV and radio if you tuned in at the right time for them. No catch up. Or you could actually take the time to read those newspapers that had come in. Now, if you didn't do any of these things, most likely you wouldn't necessarily know what was going on in your town or in your county or in the country or in the wider world. And, you know, I'm sure that maybe some of you who are here today who are a little bit older than me might recall a time when there was even less information than that. You'd literally just be aware of what was happening in your locality. But now we are inundated, aren't we? News channels that tell us about events, report on events as they are happening. Twitter feeds that come from people who are actually involved in the incidents as they are experiencing them. Newspapers are considered by many to be redundant in terms of breaking news because it's already old news by the time it's printed. And at the touch of a button, we can hear stories from all around the globe. The internet providing a wealth of information of what's happening in the lives of people and in the stories of nations. And I don't know if you've noticed, but it's largely bad news that seems to be reported. News of disasters, of dangers, floods and wars, famines and poverty, fires, drought, death and destruction. Good news simply doesn't seem to sell. And it's not just the fault of the media. We watch the news. We read the newspapers. We seem to be wired to focus on the negative. But of course, when we are so influenced and consumed by the bad news, maybe you've experienced this, sometimes it gets too much. It's overwhelming. It can consume you and it makes our souls sad and makes us scared and anxious. And so some of us have tuned it all out. We just don't watch the news anymore, 
or look on the internet about what's happening in the world because it's too distressing. We switch off, and when people bring stuff up, we actually haven't heard about it because we've zoned ourselves out. We revert to living in a bubble to protect ourselves. Now, on the one hand, this might seem like a solution, but is it really? Now, I need your participation in this next bit, so go with me. What I want you to do is all close your eyes. Nothing bad's going to happen, don't worry. <laughs> You'll just miss the point if you don't do it. So if you could all close your eyes, and online too, if you can close your eyes as you're watching, I just want you to close your eyes and keep them closed. Keep them closed, don't peep, it'll ruin it. Just keep them closed, keep them closed a little bit longer. Keep them closed a little bit longer. Keep them closed. Not too much longer. Fabulous, wonderful. Okie dokie, you can now open your eyes. Thank you very much. You're thinking, well, what's changed? Nothing. So, when you had your eyes shut, three people stood up here at the front. Perhaps you three can come up again just so they can actually see you this time and hold up what you were holding now that everyone's got their eyes open. Now, because I told you to close your eyes, you didn't see these three people telling you that they needed help. Thank you. When was the last time that you were moved by something that you didn't see or that you didn't hear about? When was the last time that you responded to a need that you didn't know existed? You see, if I'm unaware of something, I won't be moved by it or be inspired to get involved to help, and neither will you. And how does that square with following Jesus? It doesn't. But having said that we can't shut it all out, we also be, need to be aware that we can't take it all on either. When we try and take it all on, we can become overwhelmed. It can cause us some real issues, and it can stop us from actually helping anyone. We see so many problems that we simply don't know where to start. We don't know what to do. We're paralyzed. And sometimes we get compassion fatigue. We see so much of a problem that we become used to it. So what do we do? Well, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have had the way forward modeled for us. We have been given a responsibility. Now, just let me caveat here that for those of you who are exploring faith and haven't yet decided to follow Jesus, you can listen and see what you think, see what you make of the Jesus way. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, responding to human suffering the Jesus way is non-negotiable. It's our responsibility, and we're going to look at why. As we read the accounts of Jesus' life here on earth, there is something striking about the way that he conducted himself. Jesus was sometimes with the most important people on the way to the most important events, but would often be sidetracked by people who were sick, people who were hungry, people who were even dead. He diverted from what he was doing to go and heal the sick, to deal with those emergencies, to feed the hungry and to raise even the dead. And he allowed himself to be distracted from his plans in order to help others. But whilst Jesus did meet the needs of others around him, in front of him, he, it's interesting that he didn't attempt to fix the wider society problem. He didn't engage in debates about the Roman occupiers. He didn't engage in conversation about how his movement might overthrow the Romans. He refused to engage with any of that. He was concerned with meeting the immediate need in front of him, and he was infinitely concerned with the human condition of the heart. You see, he knew 
that it's from the heart that so many of the problems of the world stem. It's from the human heart that we see selfishness of some leading to poverty for others. It's from the human heart that we see the lust for attention and the, the need to satisfy human desire leading to broken marriages and loneliness. It's from the human heart that we see greed lead to wars. It's from the human heart that we see lies and deception lead to corruption and mismanagement. The evils and the horrors of the world derive from the human heart, not the systems that expound them. But imagine if everybody who read or heard and then took up the way of living the Jesus way, the way that he prescribed, imagine if everyone lived by those rules, those upside-down kingdom rules of racing to be at the back of the line, a life serving others first, a life filled with mercy, peace, and joy, a life where revenge is not taken, where generosity pervades, where everyone chooses to help everyone and anyone where everyone asks the question, what can I do with what I have to help others? Imagine if governments were filled with people who had a heart like that. And by living the Jesus way, it doesn't mean that we can't have money or stuff. It doesn't mean that they're bad things. We don't need to feel guilty about the power or position or the resources that we have. But we should feel responsible. We should feel responsible because as Jesus followers, they're not ours anyway. Everything we have, the jobs, positions, authority, money, power, resources, your talent, it's all on loan from God. And when you embrace the kingdom way of living, that is when we make those resources, talents and abilities available for the benefit of others. That's the kind of heart change that would change the world. And that heart change is changing the world. And Jesus summed up this way of living in one command. He said, love others as I have loved you. This is how we are to love. When we love like this, it extends over the divides of background or life experience. It bridges over disagreements and problems, and it allows us to put others first and to bear one another's burdens. Now, whilst Jesus talked a lot about living this way, he didn't just say those things. He demonstrated them. And today we're going to take a look about, from the account of John, who was one of Jesus' first disciples, when he tells us about a time that Jesus washed their feet. If you want to read the whole story, you can do that and find it in John chapter 13. But I'm going to paraphrase to begin with. See, at this time, Jesus and his followers had been traveling around Jerusalem. And on this occasion, they were together to have dinner, and it was on the night before he was arrested. Now, one of those things about traveling around in the time that Jesus walked the earth was that your feet got filthy, really, really filthy. People did not wear shoes as we do. At best, they would have had worn sandals, but their feet would have been covered in dust and in dirt and in all manner of things that may have been on the road. You can use your imagination, but there were camels and donkeys and sheep and goats, and where they are, there's probably something else. You get the idea. Ordinarily, the custom of the day would be that a servant would be ready to wash the feet of guests. But on this occasion, no one had thought to organize that someone to do the feet washing. And it was very clear that the disciples weren't about to start getting down and washing each other's feet. And so it's at this point that Jesus stands. He takes off his outer garment. He takes a towel. He puts it around his waist, which is exactly adopting what a servant would have done. And he begins to wash the feet of the disciples. 
Now, this may not seem much to us today, at best a little bit oof at the idea of washing someone else's feet, but don't underestimate the significance of what he is doing here. He's doing the job that is considered to be the lowest of the low. It might be like King Charles coming around and cleaning out your toilet, but here is the king doing the most menial of tasks in order to serve others. Now, I know Jesus was Jesus, but he wasn't some kind of expert foot washer. And he knew that their feet would get dirty again. But he saw the need in front of him. And he saw that he could do something with what he had to fix it. And by doing so, he showed that there was nothing that was too small or too insignificant or too menial to do for others. And when he finished washing the disciples' feet, this is what he said. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you, also, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Can you imagine for a moment the scenario in the room? All of the disciples are sitting there with clean feet, having not been willing to be the one to wash the others. And then Jesus reminds them of just who he is before telling them to do what he has done. He removes all the excuses from the book. But he goes further, and this is where our responsibility comes in. He tells us this is the example that we are to follow. He doesn't say follow this sometimes, or follow it when it's easy, or follow it when it's for nice, uncomplicated people who you want to serve. He simply says, here is the example. Now go and do likewise. And as he says it to the disciples then, he says it to each of us who are watching online or who are in the room who say that we are followers of Jesus. We are here to, get, to take on that responsibility. So how about you and I? Are we here to meet the need? Or are we here to have our needs met? Are we ready to serve those around us in response to what God is doing in our lives? Or are we more of a consumer? Do we listen to the talk on a Sunday and think, yeah, I agree with that, but then don't actually allow it to change our lives the rest of the week? See, by saying this, Jesus is setting up the mission to which we are all to play a part, and it kind of does two things. Firstly, when you serve someone, it's really difficult to have conflict and disagreement when you've got that serving nature of the relationship. Have you ever tried to stay mad at somebody who's serving you? It's really hard. They're doing something nice for you. It's really hard. They have to be close to you. Therefore, as the church, we should be modeling this to each other. Let us serve one another. Let us put each other first. Let us put the needs of others in the church before our own. The group of disciples around Jesus, we can already see how different they are from each other, from the jobs that they did before Jesus called them, to the bickering that they had over who, would gonna, who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. It wasn't all a bed of roses. And in our church today, we're made up of different people from different walks of life, all sorts of jobs and all sorts of different stages on our faith journey. And let's be real, we're human and it can be hard to be patient with everyone all of the time. And it can be hard to reach agreement of all, with everyone all of the time. But when you come close to serve somebody and meet their needs, it changes the dynamic. It brings unity. So next time someone bugs you or takes a different view to you that you struggle with, serve them. Be generous towards them and see what happens. Do what Jesus did. 
And secondly, Jesus is setting up the disciples and us now to know that we should be leading by helping others. It's the mission that he has given us all. Jesus, the king of the world, has taken on the role of a servant to those who were far beneath him. He saw the need and met the need. Where we see a need, let us meet that need. Let's not find a reason not to. Let's not overcomplicate it. Let's just do it so that we can demonstrate our love for God and the love that God has for every single human who walks this earth. We can be extravagant in our giving where we can see where we can help. God doesn't hate rich people. God doesn't begrudge us earning money, but he does want us to be extraordinarily generous. And if we want to follow Jesus, then right here is the challenge to all of us. Will you wash each other's feet? Not literally, but figuratively. Will you do what Jesus did? What can you do to bless others, to help others, to support others? It can be so tempting, can't it, to shut out the horrors of the world. And it's also debilitating and dangerous to take it all on. And Jesus calls us to do neither. But Jesus does call us to love everyone always and do what we can to help people. And this is why we have our Be Rich series every year. Whilst we want to be encouraging and supporting each other to meet others' needs all year, this is a time where we can come together and bring our part and combine it with everybody else's so that collectively we can do even more. We're going to give, we're going to serve, and we are going to love in Jesus' name. And it's our opportunity to say collectively to our community that everybody matters to God, whether God matters to them or not. And we call the series Be Rich because of something that Paul, who was one of the early church leaders, wrote to Timothy, who was another one of the church leaders who was taking up the mantle. And he said this, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. See, money is not evil, but it's the love of money that is considered to be the root of all evil. And in this passage, Paul is reminding Timothy to teach those who are rich financially not to trust in their money. Money will come and it will go. Crikey, have we seen that in the last few weeks? And if you love money, it's that that will control you. When you trust in money, it means that you're not trusting in God. Whereas if we love and trust God and allow him to direct our decisions, we can use our wealth and resources for good and, and demonstrate extravagant generosity. For the antidote to the love of money and greed is generosity. And to remember with gratitude where everything we have comes from. Being rich in good works and being generous to those who are in need means parting with some of what we have. But it means also that we get to meet the needs of others, just as Jesus did and just as he compels us to do. You can't take your money and possessions when you go to heaven. Being financially rich in this life is kind of short-term planning. But being rich in giving and being rich in love and being generous to others, it transforms your heart and it builds treasure in heaven. 
Yesterday, we saw so many of you give towards our local projects at the Be Rich drive-thru, and I know that we will be able to bless so many people in our community by what you did. Seeing everyone coming in with their gifts was just the best. And today, we are going to have another opportunity to give, today and throughout this series. Today, we're going to have a special offering, which will go to the work of a member of our church, Helen Stainsby, who is um, in Poland. Now, at the moment, Helen and her church are helping refugees that are coming into Poland who are fleeing the war in Ukraine. People who have few belongings with them, who are cold, who are hungry, and who need shelter. We see that need, and we want to be able to help. So today, our Be Rich Give offering will be doing just that. Just imagine if every adult in our church community were able to give £20 in the offering today. Imagine putting all of that together and sending it to Helen. Imagine the individuals, the families, and the children that would be helped by us giving that today. Now, I don't live under a rock. I know that right now in this country, times are really tricky. And you know, for some of us, we won't be able to, to, to spend 20 pounds on that, and I get that, and that is absolutely fine. There is no obligation. But I also know that there are some of us here who 20 pounds, you might be able to do twice, and that's also fine. But whatever you can give, whether it's a few pence or many more, we can send that. And I believe in God's promise that he will do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine with that gift. Let's follow the example Jesus sets and the command that he speaks as we do as he did. Let us be rich in good deeds. Let's be generous and let's be willing to share what we have. And let's be open to how God speaks to us as we pray and we worship now. Let's pray. Lord God, there is so much need in our community locally and in the community around the world. Lord, we know that sometimes we can be overwhelmed by it and we want to shut it out, but Lord, I pray that you would help us not to do that. And equally, I pray that you would give us wisdom in to know what we can do. Lord, help us to follow your command, to do as you have done. Help us to see the need around us. Help us to, to see the simple thing that we can do in buying someone a cup of coffee or in buying a sandwich or just phoning someone up and checking in with them. Help us not to be so overwhelmed that we just do nothing. And Lord, as we think about the work that Helen is doing, I pray that you would just speak to each of us and prompt each of us to give what we can give so that collectively our gift to the people over there who are praying for your help, we can be part of the answer. Amen.